welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Wolfgang Bauer of Kabold Press here to talk with us about world building, specifically building in conflict, or as he likes to call it, stacking up the gunpowder. Fantastic way to describe it. Ideas like that. That's how you get the title, Kobold in Chief. That's right. (laughs) But before we get into that discussion, Neil, I believe we have a five-star review. We do. It is it is a healthy one. And it is from DM Lord Neptune, who is a Patreon dragon and also our wonderful webmaster. So if you like the new site, give some love to DM Lord Neptune. And he gave the review entitled A Great Way to Unlock Hidden Potential. Five stars. I've been spending the last few months trying to catch up on this excellent podcast. I've gone from listening in my car to and from work to listening while mowing the lawn, doing dishes and getting ready in the morning. Personal listening anecdote aside, this podcast has information that is quite beneficial for any sort of role playing system and has single handedly given me the DM spark to get back into it after a long hiatus, but with D&D 5e this time. Through the many episodes, my imagination has been supercharged to continue work on my world of Talandria, inspiring me to come up with creation mythos of the world, a custom pantheon with its own symbolism and detail, as well as major storylines I truly wish to cover with my friends. Thanks for all the hard work you do, DM Lord Neptune. P.S. I'm in the portion of the series where there is a lull in story time and I miss it dearly. I do hope it does return soon. Side note, it has returned. It's on our Patreon and it's great. (laughs) Which DM Lord Neptune knows now. (laughs) Yes. As I have not looked ahead at any of the episodes in fear of spoilers. Finally got into 2017 episodes, though. Still impressed by every one of them. Thank you, DM Lord Neptune, for all you have done and all you will continue to do. Yes, thank you so much. And with that, Neil, let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? The flight meat back on the menu, boys. Today on the meat, we have a very special guest. We have none other than Wolfgang Bauer, game designer and founder of Kobold Press. But I believe your official title is Kobold in Chief. Oh, yes. Yes, yes I am in chief. Perfect. So, Wolfgang, uh, could you just begin the show by telling us a little bit about yourself? Really anything you want to tell the listeners? Sure. Well, I mean, obviously, great big gamer, long time in the industry, and I guess I want to say, you know, with a name like Wolfgang, it's probably not surprising. I'm I'm <laughs> bilingual in German and English, and I think that always has given me a slightly different perspective on uh, fantasy gaming and what makes good stories, because, I mean, one of the touchstones for me has always been the Deep Dark Woods and the Brothers Grimm. And I was fortunate enough as a child of like 10 or 11 to be dragged around on a couple of family vacations and visit castles in Switzerland and in Germany. And it made quite an impression. And I I have to think (laughs) it had something to do with me picking up that blue box a year or two later. So, yeah, impression and I'm sure inspiration as well in your years as uh, designing games. Yeah, absolutely. You know, 
those were sort of magical trips where I got to see something that was very different than the American environment. Museums full of armor and axes mm. and swords. One thing that I still remember now is the Swiss castle had an actual Iron Maiden in it. The thing <laughs> that looks like a mummy case with spikes. Okay, so not the band. <laughs> not the band. Okay. I like the band, but <laughs> not the band. <laughs> and it was one of those, what, they put people in there? and they. Cl- mm-hmm. But there are spikes that would hurt. Yeah, that was the point. <laughs> so, I mean, I think maybe my dark side got fed by some of the stuff I saw uh, early on, right? Uh, that's awesome. Uh, and I've always had, had that, that sort of background to fall, fall back on. So then the question on everyone's mind is, what is Kobold Press? Ah, well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, (laughs) It's a small press publisher of tabletop role-playing games, which has, believe it or not, survived longer than the lifespan of the average Kobold. The company is 11 (laughs) years old, and it started off as a tip jar on LiveJournal. You know, I said it was 11 years old, right? That's how old it was. And it started as an open-door, patron-back thing before there were things like Kickstarter and Patreon, right? Back when we were running PayPal tip jars as a funding mechanism. And over time, it's gotten bigger and bigger and has published more and more people. And it's not just my writing, thank goodness. It's it's a whole bunch of people. (laughs) And we specialize in dark fantasy. We've got our own setting, the Midgard campaign setting, which we're doing a new edition of for... 5e and updating the pathfinder version and yeah we do a little patreon called warlock where we do fifth edition dark fantasy books little booklets really so that's our sort of high line we love fantasy we love gaming and and half the crew is like either been at tsr or watsi or freelances in a bunch of places we're a motley band, and <laughs> small but fierce is our motto. Yes, fierce like the Tome of Beasts, which I absolutely love. So, Oh, thank you. <laughs> yes, it is fantastic. I helped kickstart that bad boy, and I was pleasantly surprised. I mean, you, know, you hear all these things about how big the book is going to be, but until it's in your hands, like you can't put the <laughs> mm-hmm. fear into your players until you drop that on the table. And so, uh-huh. Well, we said 400 monsters. It's like, how are we going to make that fit? <laughs> big, big book. Yes. Neil is the reason that I got that book. He brought it to a convention we were at last year and I was like, this is amazing. So it is a, it is a great addition to both of our libraries. I'm sure. Uh, we, we try to keep it uh, interesting and let, you know, dungeon masters change it up and scare <laughs> their players. So, that was the goal, and it seems to have worked. Yes. yes. All right. So we've arrived at one of my favorite parts of the show. We have a surprise question for you, Wolfgang, from one of our Patreon dragons. This one comes from DM Pax, and it is a question about world building. So this is pretty exciting. Uh, DM Good. Pax asks, what are the three uses for dragon's blood in your homebrew world? Go. <laughs> <laughs> Three uses for dragon's blood. Wow, that seems awesome. (laughs) Well, my homebrew world is Midgard, and there's a whole (laughs) empire of dragons there. So, yeah, dragon's blood is a little easier to come by there than it is elsewhere. I would say the three uses of dragon's blood would amount to a component in some sort of potion of of dragon or fire breath. Mm. 
That seems sort of easy and obvious. That seems, that seems right, yep. Yeah, somewhat less easy and obvious would be, at least for me in the Dragon Empire, uh, little kobolds and dragonborn and drakes can all aspire to become bigger and more powerful dragonkin. Hmm. So I would say getting some true dragon's blood would be a way to uh, for the scaly races to increase their power level, right? Hmm. A kobold could grow into one of the dragonborn. A drake could grow into a, a true dragon. You need a lot of blood for that. Man, that's that's great because now I've just got images of kobolds like with just betrayal like in their mind. How do I how do I kill this thing that's way stronger than me so that I can become that? Right. I I just need to figure out a way to just get a few pints while it's sleeping without it notice. No, that won't work. Honestly, right. that sounds like a great campaign to me. I want to play that kobold. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I mean, playing a kobold, I'm all all in favor of that. That's, right. that's always a good why. option. You start out very squishy. <laughs> and the third, I think, would be the traditional Germanic use of dragon's blood, right? Uh, if you know your German mythology, you know that smearing some dragon's blood over your own skin as a human fighter heroic type makes you either invulnerable mm. or at least gives you armor. And I think that that clearly works, right? That's that's every German legend of Fafnir and uh, the Rheingold, and it, it's all over the place. So bathing in dragon's blood has a long history of magically armoring you up, and I'd say, yeah, of course that works. I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you, DM Pax, for asking that question, uh, and thank you, Wolfgang, for answering it. That uh, sure, sure. already we're off to inspiring our listeners for their homebrew worlds. So on the meet today, I asked Wolfgang what type of topic he would like to talk about on our show, and he decided that we should talk about world building, but specifically building in conflict to your world. So setting up your world, putting conflict into it, and making it come alive with the different types of conflict all around your world. Wolfgang, I think the first question before we get into the the real meat of the discussion would be, what was it that made you like excited to bring this topic to life on this episode? Well, sure. Uh, busy <laughs> rebuilding, revamping, expanding uh, the Midgard campaign setting. We had a huge Kickstarter for it to update the rules to include 5e, but it's been five years since we published the original <laughs> world book. And things have changed in the homebrew campaign. Things have published adventures, have sort of put plot points out there, changed the world. And I said, you know, the thing that drives uh, this campaign is that there's lots of friction, ragged edges, war, plunder, hate. You know, it's not full of good little kingdoms that are all well-governed. It's kind of a mess. And that's what makes it interesting from a playability perspective. And I think... The Cobalt Guide to World Building talks about this in a different way, but conflict is what takes basic looting the bodies and plundering tombs and puts it in a context of, well, you know, we're loot-driven adventurers, but we have a purpose. We have a larger cause. We're fighting for our side. And so some of that is designed in and baked into Midgard, and it can be designed in and baked into anybody's homebrew. And so I guess uh, kind of going off of that and speaking about building and homebrew worlds that are being built by other DMs and GMs out there, this was a term that you used that I really loved. 
Uh, you discuss the setting up stage as stacking up the gunpowder. So <laughs> I good. love that term. That is <laughs> that's what we call it. It's in the Midgard design oh, documents. It's that's perfect. Awesome. That's fantastic. Such a great term. Uh, might be the <laughs> the title for the episode, I'll be honest. Sure. <laughs> so do you have any tips for DMs and GMs out there who want to stack up the gunpowder in their world? Like, how do they prepare to do this, building in conflict for their worlds? Yeah, there's there's lots of ways to do this. The goal here, of course, is to make it easy for your players to strike a match and, and start a huge chain of events. But to get there, I think the easiest way is you need to get in touch with your inner, like, grudge-bearing, power-mad tyrant, <laughs> right? Like, get get in touch with your worst instincts. Look for reasons for nations, groups, tribes to hate each other. And, and realize they don't need to be good reasons for, for different groups in the world to be angry or driven to conflict, right? They can be terrible reasons. But as long as you can articulate why the orcs are on the warpath or why that normally nice order of paladins has decided to burn out a whole lot of villages, right? Hmm. And I usually put this in like five or six buckets, right? The reasons are things like power, succession struggles, who's in charge, religion and heresy is always good, apocalyptic groups, hatred between different fantasy races, limited resources, stuff like mithril or adamant or metal or food, right? If there's not enough to go around. And then... The bucket I sort of call just magic and monsters. You know, if you've got badlands full of undead that swarm out on a regular basis, according to the lunar cycle, I don't know. <laughs> you know, That'd be do, amazing. do the undead vampires that swarm out of the badlands have a reason? Well, not a big reason. The necromancer tells them to go, right? That's their reason. Great. So... Pick some big themes, pick some like reasons people pick up a sword or a wand and make sure that the players know, oh, the paladins are on the warpath burning out those villages because they're infested with necromancers. Hmm. Yeah. All right. That's a good reason. I really like it because it can be as simple or complex as you need it to be, especially to start stacking the gunpowder. Because if you say, I mean, also, I also now cannot get the idea of literal waves of zombies because it, like <laughs> with the moon and the tides. But <laughs> if you take that idea, what does that mean for the closest country? And because of that, what is their relationship to the next countries? You know, it makes me also think kind of back to Lord of the Rings where you're know, like, we're here and we're defending against Mordor. What's your deal? What do you do? And having that built-in conflict between nations because they're the ones protecting everyone else from these tides of zombies. And just letting the letting the answers create more questions to stack up the gunpowder. Yeah, you got it. And then you can use multiple directions at the same time if you want, right? It's like, well, the Order of Paladins has religious ties to other nations that worship the sun god. Well, maybe that drags them in. Maybe the necromancer is part of a vampire kingdom. Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> well, that's bad. We should do something about that, right? The nice thing about designing these conflicts is they can start really small, like you see some zombies on the road, and grow over time as you reveal, you know, well, what kind of zombies? Well, what do you mean there's a second group of zombies? What do you mean it's only at the dark of the darkest moon, 
right? There's a sense of exploration of why, right? Why is the world the shape it's in? So I'd encourage people to stack up lots of layers and lots of complexity Mm. as much as you like, but start with that front line thing you were just saying, right? Like the nation that's on the border, the very first encounter on the road, and let it balloon quickly or slowly as the players choose. So, I mean, you guys have talked about a little bit already, but one of the things that comes to mind for me uh, as a DM is doing this, stacking this gunpowder and then having it happen in game with your PCs, the types of encounters and combat and conflict that they come across can have a real effect on the players and showing them the type of world slash country slash the whatever place you're in, it can really build the lore and show a lot about what is that place like and what are the problems that they're going for uh, and, and dealing with. So my question is, Wolfgang, do you usually, when you build in conflict to your world, do you usually look at the area of the world that you're working with first and say, okay, this is what this place is like. Now let me build the conflict from there. Or do you start with the conflict and let that then kind of create the culture and the people and the, the like everything around the conflict that you choose? Oh, uh, that's, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> Was it the chicken or the egg? Yeah, I wish I had a clean answer for that. <laughs> The trouble is some parts of my homebrew go back to like my junior high days, right? Mm -hmm. Like the mageocracy has been around forever. And I'm pretty sure at the age of 12 or 13, I was not like, I must suss out the political consequences (laughs) here. Flawless right? I was like, no, I was, archmages are cool. Yes. Right? (laughs) So they're in charge. What's cool enough to, you know, go against archmages, big, scary monsters. All right. So, you know, (laughs) it was not sophisticated world building at that time, but there've been successive layers and layers and layers over it. I tend to blow stuff up with some regularity, probably more than most, well, maybe not more than most worlds. You think about realm shaking events, they seem to happen with some regularity, but you know, border shift and, uh, and kings and princes die and are replaced by others. And that means the conflicts tend for me to grow out of the character of nations, states, tribes, and people. Right. Mm. So like the Dragon Empire has recently had a change of rulership that's going to be appearing in the new edition of Midgard. And because there's new people in charge, uh, they've got new priorities, right? there's still conflict. It's just a little less of, hey, we're going after group A and a little more of, eh, we're going after group B. So, but that's really a matter of individual DM's taste, right? You may say the Lich King has always been in charge of the vampires. The vampires have always been in charge of the zombies and the waves of zombies come every month. And that's just the way it will always be. And say, I'm locking it in because I want an undead conflict. You know, barring any wiping out of of the Lich King, it's always going to be like this. There's something really foundational and reassuring about having big existential, we're going to wipe you out type threats as part of a setting. Because players can count on, those are the bad guys, we don't need to think about it, let's go after them, Hmm. right? 
I'm not sure I answered your question. <laughs> no, I think you did. I think you honestly, I think you answered it in a more realistic sense of that. It sound sounds like you kind of do both. Um, and and yeah, maybe maybe when you were younger, it was, you know, it was focused on one way and maybe it's more a little bit focused another way now. But I think that's honestly, I think that's kind of a good answer because I don't think there really is an answer that's the right answer to that. And that's something that maybe, the, you know, our listeners should walk away with is if they build their combat based on the culture and the region, uh, or if they build their region and cultures based on the combat that they're putting it in, uh, both of them can create really amazing worlds. And, yep. you know, I was like you when I first started DMing and I wasn't I wasn't an 11 year old. I was like in early college when I first started the but my world like that I started with was the same exact way of it was just like, oh, this is cool. I want my PCs to come across this. So, boom, they're coming across this. And so, like, <laughs> I have a island in my world that I would just really describe as just high fantasy, whatever the heck that like comes along, I could place there. And yeah. th- now I've gotten to the point where if you go to different places in my world, different countries, it has a different theme. It has, you know, you're going to run into different things, but I don't think either of those ways is wrong. Honestly, as long as you as a world builder are having fun and your players are having fun, I think it's just kind of as we grow as world builders, you can start to learn, you start to like develop different patterns and that can develop more lore into your world through conflict. Right. I agree. It's entirely where are you at as a DM? What's your taste? Mm-hmm. Right? What suits your style? Because you know, it's a creative exercise. Not everyone's DMing style is the same. Mm-hmm. It also it can be really dependent on what's in your world to answer the questions that you're asking. I mean, if you're right. setting up this conflict with the zombies and you have all the these answers, you might not have that neighboring nation set up. But this this could be the catalyst to say, okay, here are these paladins. Now they're coming in to start wiping out towns because there's necromancy and there's no regard for those towns. And then that starts to explain more about your world through asking those questions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is how I have some of the black dwarves of Grizal are a canton of dwarves who basically exist because somebody asked me, why haven't the vampires taken over the dwarf kingdoms? Hmm. And I'm like, uh, uh, because there's a really hardcore, tough fighting group of dwarves whose job it is to prevent that <laughs> from happening. <laughs> right? And I sort of made them up on the spot and they have been reasonably popular as, you know, the guys who can stand up to vampires. Uh, mm. It's like other dwarves aspire to be that ghoul. Yeah. The question it builds the world. I'm totally with you. Yeah. It ties to the topic, but I have a random thought that I've been thinking ever since we started. The other cool thing about this concept in Young Wolfgang, I really appreciate that you've brought this to us and by proxy our listeners. But the other thing you can think about is like the scale at which you stack up the gunpowder can be different depending on what you're trying to do with your world and your campaign. You could stack the gunpowder inside of a city. Don't oh, yeah. it doesn't need to be hmm. and it definitely can be these world shaping giant events. You're pile of gunpowder if you will is much larger but it need not be like you can think of okay well this district is over here and these people have done this thing and this and this and this and the other thing is that the gunpowder could be nothing to do with combat 
It could be pure oh, yeah. p- political intrigue of I'm trying to move these pieces and these parts over, and now this person is out of power, and now I'm in power, and what does that mean for the players? But these, just this long line of just setting everything up, like you've already said. So yeah, it was just a couple concepts that like really stuck out as being able to fold into this idea and how well uh-huh. it works for pretty much everything. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I tend to lean toward... Well, let's talk about war and conflict, but there's no reason you can't apply this to any other form of political intrigue. Who's the heir to the throne? What's the one true faith? Branches of the church, right? Or Yeah, pick your favorite. Or it could be sharks and jets down the street, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Swing so warfare. <laughs> oh gosh. So I have a, a kind of a question based off of Neil's uh, statement and question. So you're stacking the gunpowder for your world. You're setting up the stage. You're putting conflict into your world and you're just, you're building your world before your players get to experience it. And then you drop your players into your world with their PCs and you already have in your mind, like over here, we have a lich lord that has been ruling this city for 3000 years. Over here, uh, we have, um, I, I don't know, uh, these small, these fey that are controlling this forest. And if you go in, they will try to capture you and make you stay there forever. Uh, you just set up all these different types of types of gunpowder wherever in your world you have them set up. My question is, so clearly in a gaming format, uh, our PCs have levels. And so how does that come into play with running a game where it's like you have a combat uh, or a conflict or something set up that it is really you were like, all right, this is well beyond if they're going to strictly go combat wise, this is well beyond their level, but I don't want to change my world or do you change your world because of the uh, player's level? Uh, How does that work with level? Do you steer them clear from that conflict while still having whispers of that and like kind of dropping in seeds of maybe someday you can fix this? (laughs) It's one of the fun things about world building is, yeah, you can put in, all the high level stuff and the most terrifying danger as well as gosh, there's trouble down at the mill and sort of matching up player ability or character ability with level of danger. It's been a discussion of designers forever, right? Mm. Do you you match every encounter to the, the level that people can cope with? Or do you go sort of old school, hardcore, did, this is really tough stuff, and if you walk into the giant slayer at first level, you get squashed? I think that there's room to take those big conflicts like the Lich Lord and make them obvious to certain characters. So, I mean, the first thing you can do is you can let players figure suss out the relative level of danger, right? And... That could be bardic knowledge, that could be arcane lore, it could be the cleric just happens to know that, you know, a party of missionaries was sent that way and none returned, and young members of the priest of the sun god have all been forbidden from going to the land of the lich lord, (laughs) right? 
<laughs> for fear of further losses. So you could flash the big red danger flags at people. The The trouble with that is sometimes players will say, oh, you're just doing it to make it sound scary, right? We're going anyway. <laughs> oh. uh, which is one of my favorite moments, because at that point I'm ready to say, okay, I'll I'll sort of scale up things slowly. I will boil the party one encounter at a time. And, you know, it might be you meet a zombie. Oh, you meet ten zombies. Oh, you see the entire zombie army um, over the course of three encounters. And the entire zombie army led by three vampires. At which point, most people sort of get the message of, oh, we are marching into Mordor and we are first level. And ah, (laughs) right? The one sensible player in the party will say, okay, guys, we, we need to back off and come, you know, we've scouted, we've done plenty, let's go back. Or let's come back when we're in better shape. So spreading the danger out across multiple encounters can sometimes lead to reality setting in. The other thing to do is, if people are really engaged with, I want my character to immediately go to the biggest conflict there is, is bribe them away somewhere else (laughs) with a bright, shiny hook, right? (laughs) But, I mean, these are all sorts of table management questions as well. I, I think that players should have the chance to make horrible mistakes and walk into the lair of the Lich Lord if they really want to, right? Mm. At some point, they're going to be captured by the zombie army or the three vampires. And ideally, the, the player, the barbarian, or the chaos mage, or whoever said, this is a great idea, becomes a zombie or a vampire, and the rest of the party, you know... Uh, as the adventure that is called Escape from the Lich Lord. Yeah, well, and and that's kind of, I think, part of what would be a good solution there is that, you know, allowing your players to go towards that danger and like danger and consequences can make a whole adventure in itself of being chased by, you know, this bad over here or this army over here or whatever, or there could even be, you know, there are aspects of going back to like the idea of a city ruled by a Lich Lord. Well, maybe your players want to go towards that and it's clear that they can't beat that Lich Lord because they are level one, but maybe they make it their mission to infiltrate the city and start to take out some of the smaller people who work for the Lich Lord or undead or whatever it is, um, maybe that becomes the campaign working up to that point where they can beat the Lich Lord. There are other options that I see, you know, that you can say we're not removing this combat or this conflict, uh, this big conflict that I've built in. But you're right. It's it has to do with table management and how do you as the DM want to work with players that say, nah, I want to go towards the Lich Lord. That sounds great to me. I mean, honestly, I love those players. They're the ones driving the party into the <laughs> pot of boiling yes. water, right? I, I don't want to shut that down. I, as a very young DM, I, I always was like, no, this is the story and everyone needs to follow my story, which was a terrible instinct. It was, it was like, well, I, I'm all about my story, but the game is about everyone's story, and in particular, the heroes. Mm. And if some of the heroes want to do something really brave but dumb, <laughs> the, 
that's exciting. And the way they get out of trouble is usually what everyone remembers, right? I like building in something to tell them because you're going back to what you had mentioned, that old school mentality of I'm not going to tell you the giant's foot is going to tell you. And now the rest of your party knows <laughs> and you need to roll up right. a new character like the, the That's not great. And my go to is always to illustrate who has already failed. Yes. It's like That's these good. people have failed doing this mission, which you had kind of alluded to. Or you're in, if you have the zombie horde, and it's like here's this group of adventurers who are clearly more equipped to have done this than you, and they're all dead in front of you. But if you <laughs> right. care to continue, I'm not here to stop you. I'm just kind of giving some <laughs> signs and clues that maybe it's not in your best interest. You see the giant biting off the head of a of a dead warrior, and right next to him, behind him, in fact, is a pile of dead warriors. Uh, and then the then, of course, part of your party, instead of going, "Let's run away," goes, "I want to loot the bodies. Let's sneak up." <laughs> what armor do they have? Yeah, it can totally go horribly wrong, but at least you can point to. No, guys, really, I tried to warn you. Yes. <laughs> yep, the giant takes a bite and says, mm, level 10 warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Tasty. Uh, get real heavy-handed uh, with it. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I I don't think it's possible to dissuade a party that is dead set on self-destruction, right? It, they Sometimes that's the way it goes. My preference is to have at least one survivor who recruits the new party, hmm. but yeah, I. At a certain point, I'm willing to say you guys walked into it. And it's, uh, <laughs> really, there have been I, warning I, signs all along the way. <laughs> right, big flashing neon ones, and and that's okay as long as. But I I like the idea as well. The city of the Lich Lord is a recon or an infiltration. Right, you turn the mission from conquest to something smaller. We need to get in there pass a message to a member of the resistance and get out. Oh, okay. We've accomplished something. Hmm. Right? So Wolfgang, we are reaching the point of closing. Is there anything else that you want to specifically talk about with this idea of building conflict into your world? Sure. I, I would go back to the PCs and you as dungeon master have built the world. You as world builder know where all the conflicts are. I like the idea of passing out tokens or banners or team jerseys early on in character generation based on class, race, background, theme, what have you. Basically, the idea here is to embed the characters in conflicts that you have already set up previously just by saying, where was that character born and raised? What are their likely prejudices? What are their attitudes? And then see where those rivalries fit in, right? If the dwarven paladin already hates all undead, that might be helpful. If the elf knows about the forest where all non-fey get enchanted and turned into goblins, all right, great. They're front. They have that in their background. I don't want to like dictate what your player character is, but I do want to hand everybody a a hook for role playing hmm. um, and a tool for tribalism right like what's your side early on so that when i do spring the sun god versus lich lord epic conflict i know who in the party is going to fall on what side of that right away 
perfect. So Wolfgang, we just want to thank you so much for coming on. Yes. I mean, I enjoyed it and I know our listeners are going to enjoy this discussion, but I have the most important question. Where can people go to find you and all the cool stuff you do with Cobalt Press? Oh, sure. On Twitter, it's at Cobalt Press. On Facebook, it's Cobalt Press. And hey, you know, we have a blog where we put out free content and announcements and new stuff. That's koboldpress.com. But most excitingly, all our 5th edition D&D stuff is uh, is expanded for Midgard and Dark Fantasy generally in the Warlock Patreon. That's our new our newest thing, so we're very excited by that. Please back us there. We're doing a little bit of old school and, and dark magic uh, game design for uh, 4.5e, so check us out there. Yeah, and we will definitely have all of those linked in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you again for coming on. Uh, We super, super appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. I love talking to you guys. (laughs) And uh, I'm curious to hear what people people do with their own conflicts in their own worlds. And, and, man, keep doing your own homebrews, people. It's it's so rewarding, (laughs) I have to say. Um, With good players... And a little bit of planning, you can go far. Well, before we close this episode out, let's head to the mailbag. But they've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? So today for the mailbag, we have an email from DM Jeff, who says that they have a player that likes unusual things, which... They don't have an issue with, which sounds very much like myself, because I have a very odd group of characters in my current game, but I'm open to anything as long as they check with me first. And it sounds like that's what he's addressing in that one of his players wants to essentially mimic the comic book character Lady Death. Now, there's a lot of ways that could be approached mechanically, but Jeff's main question is... When a player wants to make a character inspired by another character, do you go for the feel of that original character, or do you go for making your player's character match the original powers and abilities as closely as you can? They're a little stuck because they know that their player is a huge fan of the character. And definitely a risky area to be in because you don't want the player to be disappointed or you don't want to make a character that is too powerful because they're mimicking the original source material. So for me, it comes down to asking the player why. Why do you want to play that character? You might have to dig a little deeper then because they're super cool, because that might be your initial answer that comes back to you. But what you need to do is you need to figure out what makes that character cool for your player and focus on that. If it's aesthetics and visual appearance and things like that, then you're gold because you can pretty much make those happen just by verbal description and everything like that. And the way that they interact with the world from a visual appearance aspect, as well as social interactions. If it's because of what they have in terms of powers, that's a bigger discussion to have with the player in that unless you're starting at a higher level, then it may be that the character has to develop which affords you the time and the player the time to really figure out how that happens while always looking back to that source material for motivation on like the next step, you know, because the idea of being a warlock to mimic lady death 
being an eldritch knight to mimic Lady Death, or even going as far as making multi-class to mimic all of the cool things that Lady Death can do as a character. So, just to double back, check with your player as to why they want to play that character, and what things mean the most to them about making that character at your table. Hope that helps, and as always, thank you for your email. Well, that's all we have for you today here at the Dungeon Master's Block. And if you wanted to get a hold of us and tell us how you have stacked the gunpowder, as it were, you can just head over and shoot us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And if you love this episode and the other episodes that we do, you can head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review to help get us in front of more people. And we will read that review on air. We're almost at 300. Maybe by the time this airs, we are at 300. Get us there. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. And you can like our Facebook page. Both of those places are great places to go to get updates about the show and all around D&D goodness. Uh, We have a Patreon member of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Michael. Thank you so much, Michael. Michael Yes, thank you a bronze dragon so speaking of story times michael gets to enjoy all the story time episodes and other bonus episodes on our patreon we hope michael that you are enjoying that and as always the dungeon masters block is a proud member of the block party podcast network where you can go check out other shows like the gm showcase geek wars we're so bad at adventuring and more but with that we are gonna close up here at the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing all the characters, and lowering the ego of all the people at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And keep on Dungeon Mastering. And, and today, today, oh, I didn't know if it was me or you. It's going to be you. Yep. Is that what I do? Why do I feel like that's too yeah, soon? No, that's... <laughs> too soon, man. Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Sounds like a villain in Mario. Oh, no, it's the Boomba. Goodbye.